Welcome to my series of podcasts about the stories of the Tudors. My name's Tony Riches and I'm a historical fiction author from Pembrokeshire in Wales. This podcast is the first of a series of three looking at the life of Queen Elizabeth I. And when I started thinking about how I was going to explain the complex world of Elizabeth, I realised that it'd be best to divide it into different podcasts. So the first one is an introduction to the key events of Elizabeth's life to kind of set the scene and to explain some of the big influences on her. I'll be looking at Elizabeth's challenging childhood, her teenage years and how she ended up imprisoned in the Tower of London and why she spent most of her reign in fear of assassination. And the next podcast I'm going to explore the many myths and legends that surround the last Tudor Queen. And finally, I'll look behind the familiar facade to see what Elizabeth was really like. Now, I've followed the stories of the Tudors from the very first meeting between Owen Tudor and the widowed Queen Catherine of Valois. And I'm now working on an Elizabethan series which carries on the story of the Tudors to explore the different facets of Elizabeth's complex personality through the eyes of her favourites, beginning with the story of Sir Francis Drake, a Devon sailor who became Elizabeth's unlikely hero. Elizabeth was, of course, the daughter of Henry VIII and his second wife, Anne Boleyn, and we know Elizabeth as Gloriana, a virgin queen who ruled England and Ireland for 44 years from the 17th of November 1558 until she died in 1603. And of course she was the last of the Tudors and brought almost half a century of stability to England. But Elizabeth should never have even been Queen of England because the laws of succession favoured boys She had an older sister, Mary, and she was, of course, removed from the line of succession when her parents' marriage was declared invalid uh, before Anne Boleyn's execution. And in fact, it was only reinstated at the insistence of her last stepmother, Queen Catherine Parr. Now, Elizabeth was born at three o'clock on the afternoon of the 7th of September, 1533, Interestingly, it was at Greenwich Palace where, of course, Elizabeth of York had given birth to Henry. So it was a very significant place. And it's a real shame that it's not there anymore. I've stood on the spot and uh, tried to reimagine it. But, of course, it's now the uh, National Maritime Museum. But Elizabeth was named after her paternal grandmother. And, of course, she was a great disappointment to her parents from the moment she was born because they'd prayed for a boy and they'd been told to expect a son by the most renowned astrologers and doctors in the country. And Henry VIII had planned a grand celebratory tournament and his proclamation announcing the birth of the new prince had already been written and was ready to send out all around the country. So all the jousting and celebrations were called off. But at least Elizabeth was a healthy baby and Anne had survived 
the rigours of childbirth and proved that she could conceive quickly, so they had every hope for a future son. Elizabeth was too young at two years old. She was uh, two years and eight months old to understand her mother's execution. Uh, but in 1536, her life would have changed completely. Her parents' marriage was annulled. She, of course, she was made illegitimate. She was stripped of her title of princess, as her sister had previously been, and she was from then on known as Lady Elizabeth. And within days of Anne Boleyn's death, Henry, of course, married Jane Seymour. And although Elizabeth had her own household, it does seem that she was quite neglected, out of sight and out of mind. And her governess um, had to write to the king asking for new clothes when Elizabeth grew out of the ones that she had. Sadly, Jane Seymour died after giving Henry a son, Prince Edward. And like Elizabeth, Edward grew up without a mother, but the two children formed quite a close bond. Uh, although Elizabeth wasn't close to her half-sister Mary, who was, we have to remember, she was a Catholic and 17 years older. That's quite a, almost like another generation. And, but Edward and Elizabeth were close in age, and of the same religion, and they both uh, studied together and learnt to speak Latin and Greek and Spanish and French and um, had a classical humanist education. When Elizabeth was four years old, her new governess, um, Catherine Ashley, became an important mother figure for Elizabeth, who called her Cat, and as well as Cat Ashley, Elizabeth's household included a Welsh woman, Blanche Perry, who became a close friend of the Queen throughout her life. By the age of eight, Elizabeth had lost her mother and she'd had three stepmothers, two of whom were now dead. But Henry's sixth wife, Catherine Parr, did her best to give her stepchildren a proper home and help to reconcile Elizabeth and Mary to their father. Of course, um, Henry VIII suffered with a, a range of illnesses, the worst of which was the ulcer on his leg. Um, but he also, we now think, had um, mental health problems and he died on the 28th of January 1547 when Elizabeth was 13 years old. Edward became King of England at nine years old and uh, Catherine Parr, didn't wait very long before she married her true love, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Seymour, who was Edward's uncle and brother of Edward Seymour, the Lord Protector. Elizabeth was invited to live with the Queen and her new husband at her home in Chelsea. And it's possible that Elizabeth developed quite a liking for her new stepfather, which of course uh, Thomas Seymour encouraged. We could be charitable towards Thomas Seymour and say that perhaps he was a little bit flattered by the admiration of, uh, of this young girl. But the facts seem to suggest otherwise because he was something of a chancer and ambitious and uh, really a little bit unstable. And 
the, the problem was that he began visiting Elizabeth's bedchamber early in the mornings and their servants reported that this became a regular thing and also that um, Catherine Parr was well aware of it. Uh, once it's reported that he teased Elizabeth in the garden and her stepmother held her down while Thomas Seymour cut up her gown into pieces. Now, even allowing for the different cultural values in Tudor times, uh, that is extremely unsettling. And it wasn't really surprising when um, Catherine decided to send Elizabeth away. Sadly, uh, Catherine Parr died on the 5th of September 1548 at Sudley Castle after giving birth to a daughter, Mary. And Thomas Seymour fairly soon asked Elizabeth to marry him. She was astounded and turned him down. But then he came up with a wild scheme to abduct the king and somehow um, force Elizabeth to be his wife. It all went horribly wrong and he was arrested for treason. But Elizabeth's servants were also arrested and questioned in the tower. Now Elizabeth was only 15 but she was very articulate and managed to defend her innocence. Um, but at the cost of her relationship with her brother. From 1553 onwards, Edward began to suffer with a form of consumption that we now think might have been tuberculosis. And to prevent a Catholic succession, a plan was devised to exclude both Mary and Elizabeth from the succession in favour of Lady Jane Grey. And three days after Edward died on the 6th of July 1553, Lady Jane Grey was proclaimed queen. But Mary's supporters uh, proclaimed her queen on the 19th of July. Five days later, uh, Northumberland and others were arrested and he was executed. Mary was naturally suspicious of her younger half-sister and, of course, the considerable support that she would have from the Protestants and was reluctant to acknowledge her as heir to the throne. And then Thomas Wyatt, who was a gentleman from Kent, raised a rebellion and it failed. But from the investigations, it emerged that of course, he'd hoped to place Elizabeth on the throne. Elizabeth denied any knowledge of Wyatt's plans, but she was taken prisoner and to the, taken to the Tower of London on the 18th of March, 1554. And we have to remember that Jane Grey had been executed um, on the 12th of February, 1554. So it was a really dangerous time for Elizabeth because Mary's advisers who who persuaded her to have Jane Grey executed could well be thinking the same for the next threat in line which was of course Elizabeth. But Elizabeth was popular and her popularity worked in her favour because she was soon released from the tower and instead put under house arrest at the rather dilapidated manner of Woodstock in Oxfordshire for a year. Mary eventually 
and somewhat reluctantly agreed to accept Elizabeth as heir to the throne because after Elizabeth, the most powerful claimant to the throne was, of course, Mary, Queen of Scots, the granddaughter of Henry VIII's eldest sister, Margaret Tudor. Queen Mary died on November the 17th, 1558, and Elizabeth was crowned in her place within two months on the 15th of January, 1559, at Westminster Abbey. And it's quite well documented all about her procession from the Tower of London in a light shower of snow in a litter drawn by two mules under a canopy carried by knights on either side. She was followed by a gentleman called Robert Dudley, who was to become quite a significant person in her life later on. And equerries of footmen marched on either side. Dudley was followed by six ladies riding palfreys and three chariots carrying the ladies of Elizabeth's new household. Um, all along the streets, uh, from Fenchurch to Cheapside, the crowds called out, God save the Queen, and the city companies wore all their livery and rich furs with banners and streamers hanging from windows. And at Cheapside, Elizabeth received a gift from the City of London of a purse of a thousand marks in gold and made her very first speech to the people. On Sunday, January the 16th, the day of the coronation, the streets of Westminster were paved with gravel and blue cloth and railings put up each side to hold back the crowds. And Elizabeth arrived at Westminster Hall to the fanfare of trumpets, escorted by knights and lords and heralds and the bishops in scarlet. And at Westminster she was dressed in her robes of state and met by the bishop who was to perform the actual ceremony, Nicholas Heath, who was the Archbishop of York. Elizabeth sat in the chair of estate in the middle of the crossing, facing the high altar where she was crowned, with all the trumpets blasting before her procession back to Westminster Hall for the banquet. What I find fascinating is that it's possible to this day to stand in the very spot where all this happened and then to actually make your own procession back to Westminster Hall. And there's a real sense of all those years just drifting away. As Queen, Elizabeth made sure that all of her late mother's relatives were promoted to the best positions at court. And she also wore a pendant necklace that contained a miniature portrait of her mother opposite one of herself. And in 1561, the French king, Francis II, died and Mary, Queen of Scots, returned to Scotland. She was an obvious focus for the Catholics and Mary was an increasing concern for Elizabeth, who eventually imprisoned her in 1568. And her fears were proved well-founded by the plot of 1571 to overthrow Elizabeth and replace her with Mary, Queen of Scots. The plot was planned by Roberto Ridolfi and is known as the Ridolfi plot. He was a banker who was able to travel 
between Brussels and Rome and Madrid, gathering support from the Catholics. But Elizabeth's intelligence network, at the time run by William Cecil, soon became aware of this plot and one of Rodolfi's unfortunate messengers was intercepted and tortured into revealing the secret coded messages about the plot. Two of the Duke of Norfolk's secretaries were arrested and they soon implicated the Duke of Norfolk, who was one of the senior nobles of the land. And he was imprisoned in the tower, convicted of treason in 1572 and executed. In 1579, Robert Dudley, who'd been at the Queen's side ever since she'd been crowned, secretly married Lettuce Knollis, who was Elizabeth's cousin. And um, really, Elizabeth never quite got over that. Uh, she banished Lettuce from court and uh, said in this country there shall only be one ruler. But she was quite forgiving towards Robert Dudley and he later played a quite a key role in um, her life. But Elizabeth herself was in quite complicated marriage negotiations with the brother of the French king, but she never took them that seriously and of course it all came to nothing. Then another conspirator, Sir Francis Throckmorton, who was the cousin of Bess Throckmorton, Elizabeth's lady-in-waiting, was arrested in November 1583 and he was found guilty of treason and executed in July 1584. And on top of that, uh, two years later, another plot was uncovered known as the Babington Plot to assassinate Elizabeth and put Mary on the throne. The plot was discovered this time by Elizabeth's spymaster, Sir Francis Walsingham, and he came up with a clever idea to entrap Mary and remove her as a claimant to the English throne. And it was this which led to the Queen of Scots' execution on February the 8th, 1587, as a result of a letter sent by her um, where she consented to the assassination of Elizabeth. We have to remember that Mary had been in prison for 19 years by then and Elizabeth uh, only ordered her execution very reluctantly. But as far as I can tell, the two of them never met, whatever you may have seen elsewhere. Now, during the early years of Elizabeth's reign, Catholic Spain was by far the most powerful country in the world. And Protestant England remained friendly, but there was always a tension and it built up to war in 1585 after the seizure of English merchant ships in Spanish harbours. My latest book, Drake, Tudor, Corsair, explains how Elizabeth worked through men like Francis Walsingham to send Francis Drake on expeditions to attack the Spanish New World. The attempted invasion of England in 1588 by the Spanish Armada is often portrayed as Elizabeth's finest hour, yet it seems she was poorly prepared and terrified by the thought of the Spanish sailing up the Thames to London. If they did, 
She'd be imprisoned for life at best, or even executed. But luck was on her side. The weather was against the Spanish, and her fleet uh, were able to drive them off, at least stop them taking shelter. But the image that we have of uh, Elizabeth riding and rallying the troops at Tilbury on a white horse dressed in armour and her famous speech. Um, historians are starting to question the accuracy of that now. She actually arrived on the 8th of August 1588, by which time they already knew the fate of the Spanish Armada and that the army would probably never fight because the, the Spanish wouldn't be landing in England. And she arrived by boat as well, so the whole thing about her riding a horse in armour was staged managed and it's possible that she did they might have found a breastplate for her to wear and that she did give a speech to rally the troops she would have liked that but um, the actual wording of her speech was tampered with after the event and um, so there's a, a question mark against one of her most famous speeches in the year 1588, the Earl of Leicester, Sir Robert Dudley, died. And in 1590, Francis Walsingham, her spymaster, followed in 1598 by William Cecil or Burley. And Elizabeth gave her last speech in her address to close Parliament for Christmas in 1601. Eyewitnesses reported that her Cheeks were sunken and several teeth were missing, but her mind was as sharp as ever. And in August 1602, just before her 69th birthday, she rode 10 miles with ease and then went hunting. But by the 21st of March 1603, her health was failing and it's reported that they had to cut the coronation ring from her finger as it had grown into her flesh. Queen Elizabeth died on Thursday the 24th of March 1603 at between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Her cause of death is debated but possible causes include uh, blood poisoning and pneumonia or perhaps cancer. Her body was brought from Richmond Palace by barge to, to Whitehall Palace to lie in state and thousands of people turned out to see her funeral procession to the Abbey on the 28th of April 1603. Her coffin was covered in purple velvet and borne on a chariot drawn by four grey horses with a coloured wooden funeral effigy on top of the coffin. Her body was encased in lead in a wooden coffin and it was at first buried in the vault of her grandfather, King Henry VII, underneath his monument in the abbey. But King James I ordered the white marble monument to Elizabeth in the North Isle of Henry VII's chapel. I don't think she would have been pleased to see that she's been represented in old age. In 1606, the Queen's coffin was placed on top of the coffin of her half-sister Mary. And I visited Westminster Abbey to pay my respects to Elizabeth and the audio guide has a soundtrack of them arguing with each other, but the inscription on the base of the monument reads, Partners in throne and grave, 
Here we sleep, Elizabeth and Mary, sisters in hope of the resurrection. The next podcast in this series will look at the many myths surrounding Elizabeth's life. Some of them were encouraged by her and others invented by everyone from the Victorians to present-day screenwriters. There are so many fascinating Elizabethans to choose from. I've decided that instead of writing another trilogy, I'm writing about three of Elizabeth's gentlemen and three Elizabethan ladies. So if I write one a year, that means I'm spending the next five years immersed in Elizabeth's world. The first book in the series, uh, Drake, Tudor Corsair, is available from Amazon in paperback and ebook. And more information about all of my books can be found on my website at tonyriches.com. Thank you for listening.